Welcome to Maison Pur, the podcast. I'm your host, Molly Hill. This podcast is all about natural living and how to get there without stressing out. We'll discuss easy tips to help create a healthier home, natural ways to care for our bodies, and so much more. If you've listened to this podcast at all, you know that I am passionate about making our home as healthy as I can. And if you feel the same way, today's episode is for you. I'm speaking with Andrew Pace. He's a healthy home concierge and also the founder of the Green Design Center. He's truly a pioneer in this industry and knows so much about building materials and the research behind what's healthy and what's not healthy. He also has his own podcast, Non-Toxic Environments Podcast, which I'll link to in the show notes. Hi, Andy. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. I appreciate being here. Yeah, this is a very in-depth topic, uh, but one that I've gotten a lot of questions about as I've shared some of our journey with our own home, things that we've done, renovations and whatnot. Um, and it's something, well, from what I gather from my audience, it can feel a little bit overwhelming trying to take a look at all the different materials and things that we're bringing into our homes. Uh, so hopefully you can kind of make that a little bit easier for everybody to think about today. I will certainly do my best, and and I, I will try very hard not to scare people. I, <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> um, well, let's start out, if you don't mind telling us a little bit about your background. Sure, I'd love to. So I grew up in a family household where my parents um, owned a commercial construction material supply company. And so our... Uh, our dinner table talk wasn't necessarily about school and sports and whatnot. It f- always turned into talking about architects and contractors and projects. <laughs> so I, I learned construction from a very early age. Matter of fact, when I was in high school, I ended up programming the very first computer system our company ever had. Oh, wow. And I, so I was just destined to work in the family business. I get out of school. I joined the the family company doing um, a type of concrete coating system that's for below-grade parking structures and uh, really uh, high-abuse areas. It's a type of coating that uh, is made from typically epoxies and polyurethanes, and it's very, very high durability. So it was my job to create the market for that business. And I worked with architects and engineers. And I remember working on a project here in Wisconsin. We were supplying this water-based epoxy coating for a, for a project. And after we got the primer coat applied, we started getting phone calls from the people living in the condos above. Now, this was a 16-story condominium uh, building in downtown Milwaukee with a below-grade parking structure. And we did all the precautions, took all the precautions we thought we needed to take by closing down the HVAC system, putting up plastic to make sure that these the fumes and the dust doesn't migrate. But we were still getting phone calls from people living in the condos saying that they they didn't like the smell of the of the product, the solvents in the product. Now, this is 1992. So keep in mind... 1992 is before 
the U.S. Green Building Council was started. This is before the LEED program. This is really back when green was just a color. So nobody knew green as we know it now. Sure. People just complained about the odors. Well, uh, two things happened that really, I think, completely changed our lives. One was one of the people that called was a United States senator who happened to be living in his downtown Milwaukee condo at the time. And his office called. And so when a United States senator calls, you really start to to take notice. (laughs) And then uh, three of our own workers had to be rushed to the hospital because of inhalation complications. Oh, wow. And this scared the heck out of me. And I was a young kid in the industry, and I've got my whole career ahead of me. And I'm thinking to myself, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to sell these products to people and and potentially poison them. It just didn't make sense. It didn't make sense that it was even a poisonous product to begin with, because I think as everybody felt at the time, well, it's water-based, it's got to be safe. And why would companies be allowed to sell things that were so dangerous? Right. I didn't know anything about, about this, but I went on a quest and I found a company in, in California, a very small company called AFM Safe Coat, and they made non-toxic coatings. And I was able to finish this job using their products. When that job finished, uh, I just, this is what this epiphany I had, like, why doesn't the entire industry gravitate over to non-toxic materials? So I branched off from my family business, started a new company selling nothing but toxin-free common sense building materials. Wow. And this is probably unheard of you know, in the early 90s. This is early 90s, again, before green building ever became a thing. So for the first few years, I was selling products to people with extreme chemical sensitivities, people living like the boy in the plastic bubble. Those are my customers because they couldn't tolerate anything that's uh, coming from surfaces around them or from perfumes and, and colognes and so forth. So I really cut my teeth in the industry working with the most chemically sensitive customers who are out there. And I learned a heck of a lot and it really formed the, the um, direction of our company, which is to sell, to find and sell the healthiest building materials available. Now in the mid to late nineties, when the U S green building council started, the focus in construction turned towards energy efficiency and global environmental uh, issues, which of course are very, very important, but they forgot about the human elements. They forgot that people actually had to live in these eco-friendly buildings that they were creating. And I learned again, the hard way, people who have sensitivities, people who have depressed immune systems couldn't walk into a lead platinum building because it still contained toxic materials that just happened to be eco-friendly. So that's been our, our goal now for the last 30 years to curate and supply the healthiest building materials available. And with that, I started a consulting practice several years ago where I can work with people all over the world, helping them find locally these materials. If they can't find them locally, we can still provide them. But ultimately, it's my job to help them build or remodel the healthiest home possible. 
That's amazing. It sounds like you're definitely one of the pioneers probably with all of this long before people even were familiar with like VOC or not non VOC products, things like that. Exactly. And, and so for all of these years, I've had to answer those questions of, you know, what makes your products healthier? Why can't I just go buy a zero VOC paint? Isn't it the same thing? And I have to tell you, there are no regulations out there uh, that are designed for human health concerns. Right, right. Every regulation that we see for building materials, it's if you actually read the regulations and, and look at the genesis of that, it's all about outdoor air pollution and other uh, environmental concerns. There aren't any regulations based upon human health. And still to this day, this is the same thing. And so manufacturers love to throw around terms like zero VOC to make it seem like their products are healthier. But, you know, you know what acetone is, which is nail polish remover. Mm -hmm. You know how dangerous that material is. Yes. Well, if you use that in a gallon of paint, you can still call your paint zero VOC. That's right. Well, there's a lot more that goes into paint. Oh, yes. For sure. Yeah, but um, and I definitely want to talk about greenwashing in a minute. But I think the fact that now we've come, you know, you started at a place where there was no, you probably had to do a lot of education because there was probably just a baseline knowledge of like zero with all this stuff. People just assume if it's on the market, it's going to be safe, things right. like that. Now we've come all the way to where people are using these terms to make it seem healthier to market to to people. So it's kind of funny how quickly greenwashing picks up, not just in building, but in all areas and all markets. It's funny how that take hold, takes hold so quickly. Exactly. Exactly yeah. right. Well, I wanted to ask you, um, there's a term that I think a lot of people might not be familiar with, and it kind of hits on on some of this. Uh, what does the term building biology mean? <laughs> That's a great question. So building biology um, or the Institute of Building Biology, th- this is a it's a it's a school of thought turned into a a um a movement it's it's all about the impact that the built environment has on the human occupants and so if you think of building biology you know building materials but the biology of that and how it affects and again not only the human occupant but our our pets as well mm-hmm. um but we are in the same uh, area, it's it's a symbiotic relationship between the building itself and the and the occupants of the building, and it's actually a um, a study that started in Germany many years ago, and it was brought to the United States uh, in the uh, in the eighties, and now the Institute of Building Biology is based in uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I was on their board of directors for a few years. It's a wonderful organization. They really focus on things like electromagnetic fields in buildings. They do focus on the use of more natural building materials, toxin-free materials. Uh, they they publish what's called their 25 principles of building biology. Uh, and it's based upon indoor air, uh, thermal and acoustic comfort, uh, human-based design, sustainable environmental performance, and then being socially connected and ecologically sound communities. Wow, that covers a lot. It does. I've talked to a few other people that kind of deal with the same, um, although they didn't call it building biology, but just really focus in with how 
how much our environments are impacting us health-wise and our pets and everything. And Mm -hmm. I think there's so many people that just don't even realize. And I think so much now after everything I've read, even just kids playing on the floor and the things that have degraded into the dust that's now on the floor. And now the kids are putting their hands in their mouths. I'm like, you know, it's, you just assume you move into this brand new house or whatever, that it's all safe, but there's really just so much more that goes into it that you're just not even aware of. For sure. I know that a study was done many years ago and it said that the average new home built today has anywhere between 8,000 and 15,000 chemicals or chemical compounds in the air wow. uh, after it's complete. I remember when I was younger, before I started this business, my grandparents had new carpeting installed in their home. And my grandma started complaining that her feet were going numb. She walked barefoot on the, on the carpet all the time and never really put two and two together at the time. But now all these years later, I understand why. Uh, the average carpet that we use today has between 400 and 1200 chemicals. Wow. And, and those will off gas for, I mean, I've tested carpeting that's 35 years old that still off gases toxic levels of formaldehyde. It's hard to believe, but I know it's true. Well, this, this is where I said before, I can't believe we're allowed to to sell and use these types of materials. But then again, out of the 90,000 plus chemicals that we have now uh, invented and are usable throughout all of building materials and home goods, there's only been, you know, less than 10, probably less half of that that have ever been deemed as, as outlawed by the United States government. Right. And it takes quite a bit to get them to that point, too. I mean, you have to really overwhelmingly show how damaging it is to people. Well, and think of things like asbestos. You know, right. asbestos still isn't illegal. Yeah. Formaldehyde, which is ubiquitous in, in the industry, which we know is a cancer-causing agent, is not illegal. Uh, and, and and think of all the other – and again, 90,000 chemicals plus. And the way – chemicals are approved for use in this country is if if they don't get tested uh, by the EPA in a matter of, I believe, 90 days, then they get automatically get rubber stamped to be acceptable. And the last time I heard they had something like a three or four year backlog. So nothing ever gets tested. The only way it actually would get taken out of use is if there's enough, enough class action lawsuits so essentially, these manufacturers are using their consumers as um, guinea pigs. Right. It's innocent until proven guilty. It just Correct. gets released into the market that way. Yeah. That's right. So we're all beta testing their new chemical compounds. Yeah. <laughs> Without even knowing it. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I talked a little bit about how we've done some major renovating in our house, but I know for most people you know, they're probably more looking at just maintaining their homes or making perhaps smaller changes, maybe talking about carpet or something like that. Maybe they want to change out one thing to make the house a little bit healthier. Right. So for people like that, what are some of the more specific areas you feel like we should be most concerned with? So if we look at the entire home, uh, the most important rooms of the home will always be the bedrooms. So I like to focus on those. If we're going to start somewhere, let's start there. We spend hopefully six to eight hours a night in that room. And any interference 
caused by chemicals or electromagnetic fields can actually cause sleep disruption so we don't actually wake up feeling refreshed. You know, we're, we're sitting in there, we're forced to breathe the air that's around us. So I always look at the, those rooms first. Carpeting, as I mentioned before, is a huge, huge problem in everybody's home. There are two brands of carpet made uh, that are made to be synthetic, chemical-free, free of any chemical off-gassing. Earthweave and, and Nature's Carpet, they're green, green line. I have Earthweave. Okay, great products. The majority of carpets that are out there utilize materials like styrene, butadiene, rubber that will off-gas formaldehyde for years and years. So I've told people if they can do one thing tomorrow, rip out all the carpet in their house, I'd rather have you live on wood or concrete subfloors until you can afford different flooring. But by all means, get the carpet out. And that can make a difference literally overnight. Wow. So what? let me ask, I've seen products on the market that are almost like a sealant that you would yes. put over the carpet to, I mean, it's not going to be perfect, but it, it supposedly can um, stop some of the off-gassing. Is, do you recommend that? I do, uh, I, especially if you're in a situation where you're renting, mm-hmm. uh, when you have no choice, uh, that is certainly a way to go. Ultimately, the best way to eliminate um, the toxic off-gassing in a home is to remove the source of it. So, you know, that that's always the best way. It's the most positive way. But if you can't do that, then sealing it. And so uh, AFM makes a product called their Carpet Shampoo and Seal System. It's a three-step system. It's labor-intensive. However, uh, results that we've found anywhere from 60 to 80% reduction in chemical off-gassing. And in most of my consultations, I usually tell people we're not trying to strive for perfection. We're trying to strive for tolerance. Mm-hmm. When you have a sensitivity because of, you know, it, we're finding it's because of Lyme disease or mast cell disorder, or what have you, uh, when you're chemically sensitive, you're never going to find perfection. I mean, you're, you're going to drive yourself to the poor house or the nut house, one of the two. <laughs> so what we try to do is let's get this space to be tolerable. And a 60 to 80% reduction in chemical off-gassing from the carpet is a massive improvement. Yeah, that's huge. One thing I have in my house in all of our bedrooms, but I also recommend to readers who are trying to improve their sleeping space, because I do think a lot of people that comes to mind first um, is I talk about putting a HEPA filter in their bedroom or some sort of uh, air purifier system. What are your thoughts on that? Or do you have one that you prefer? So first off, I'm glad you recommend that to to um, your folks because that, that's a great idea. Honestly, it's it, I, I certainly recommend or advocate for whole house purification systems, but I still will use a portable in the bedroom, especially certain times of year, like right now when pollen is starting to to come off the trees, uh, or because of rain, you're getting some mold counts going up. Uh, I think that. Sometimes you have those acute situations using a portable as well as a whole house is really, really helpful. I personally, I like the Austin air brand. Okay. Now there are others like this. It's just, I've been working with them for so long. It's, it's kind of 
second nature to me, but it's, they use a very high amount of carbon and carbon is the most effective way to remove chemicals out of the air. And -hmm. it does a really good job with collecting particles. There are new tech, newer technologies with using ionization and ozone and, 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 you know, UV lights and all this stuff. They're just not as effective as just good old fashioned carbon, a carbon block or a carbon mesh. The downside is these purifiers are kind of large compared to some of the newer things that are on the market. And they're a little bit louder because you're essentially just sucking air in and forcing it through this matrix of carbon to, to purify the air, but they are very effective. And in, in, over the years, the last dozen years with all the wildfires out West, we have sent hundreds of units out there to homes to get rid of smoke from their house. And it's very, very effective. Oh yeah. I imagine that we, the ones we have in our bedrooms are, I have an air doctor downstairs that does the whole, that whole level of the house, but the ones upstairs are cheaper units, but um, they're HEPA and carbon Mm -hmm. and they are loud, but I kind of like the white noise at night. Like I think. (laughs) Well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's kind of, it works two purposes, right? Cleans the air. And a a good tip there is most of these units uh, uh, have like a, low, medium, and high setting. Mm-hmm. So in the morning, when you wake up, turn it on high, uh, go to work, whatever you're going to do. And then when you're going to bed, just turn it down to low. And and so it, it helps to keep the space as clean as possible. Yes, definitely. What other, if we're still thinking about the bedroom, what mm-hmm. other areas or topics would you hit on as a priority? Bedding, mattresses, um, again, your your face is up against it all night. Your skin is up against it. Uh, I can't say enough how we need to eliminate uh, the toxic exposure. And when you look at uh, some, most of our mattresses are loaded with things like flame retardants and pesticides. Uh, the the fabrics are loaded with with flame retardants and whatnot. Um, get into organic sheets you know, organic bedding materials, uh, natural mattresses. Um, the Migreen Mattress Company makes wonderful non-toxic mattresses. Savvy Rest makes wonderful latex mattresses if you if you want something that's completely free of coils. There's some really good brands out there. Um, I actually heard something from a customer yesterday that they, there's a, a, a mattress company that uses fiberglass, a thin layer of fiberglass, stitched into the top of the mattress as the flame retardant. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and now they're and their houses are loaded with little glass particles. Wow. Because as they're laying on these mattresses, you're grinding those essentially those pieces of glass together and they turn to dust and they get through the knitting and in some situations they're literally having to take down the house and rebuild. That is, that's incredible. I can't believe that they, who thought of that, you know, <laughs> I don't know. you know, it, it's, so here's what happens. And, and it's the only thing I'll say on this. Sometimes the unintended consequence of a really good regulation is you're giving the manufacturers reason to use something else that's even more dangerous. So this came out of the fact that the state of California banned certain flame retardants. Right. Well, when you ban the use of flame retardants that are really toxic, but really effective, what do you do? So they they developed this new method of putting in a thin layer of fiberglass because fiberglass is a very good flame retardant. 
It's like the reason why they used asbestos years ago. Right. You, okay, yes, it causes mesothelioma, but it's a really good flame retardant. And <laughs> right. so um, we would rather advocate for full disclosure of everything that's used so we can see it for ourselves and make our own mind up whether it's something that seems safe or not. Right, right. It's uh, it's kind of crazy to think about that, but I, I'll go back to the fact that I think a lot of people have just this base assumption that whatever's on the market must be fully good for you and healthy. And it just goes to show, I mean, really, yeah. there's just so much self-regulation and people or people trying to, brands trying to meet these new regulations and doing it in really crazy ways. Very, very uh, disturbing ways. I, I totally agree. And so I always look back to that that's saying, you know, you, you have to do your own due diligence, um, buyer beware. Um, I don't like saying that to customers because I would rather say, here's everything you can ever know about this product. And this is probably why, you know, we've survived over all these years in this industry with all the ups and downs in the economy and so forth. You know, we, we do our best to educate every person that calls every little thing about the product, good and bad. I've probably turned away more business over the years because what customers were asking for was just a bad application for what, what they want. And, but I, I don't want that customer to come back to me 10 years down the road and say, you sold me something that didn't work for that job. Well, I told you that. Right. And so if somebody calls up and says, I'm looking for the, the greenest flooring material you got, I really want to use bamboo. Well, I usually come back to them and say, well, you do realize that most farmers in China now are clear cutting in their indigenous trees to plant bamboo because the U.S. wants bamboo. So if you're thinking you're buying something eco-friendly, you're not. Right, right. I let people know that and then make, they make up their own mind. But I don't want them ever to think that I was trying to pull the wool over their eyes and, and just sell them on something. Yeah, especially I think the bamboo, that's a great thing that you just brought up because I think so many people aren't aware of that. Correct. Correct. And, and they think that, you know, 20 years ago, 20 years, geez, 30 years ago now, we were the first company in the Midwest to import bamboo from China. And at the time, it was, it kind of was a wonder product. You know, it grew fast. Uh, we were working with a company that uses all formaldehyde-free adhesives. Uh, very, very hard, very durable. But as we learned more about it, we started to learn the downsides of it. And we stopped selling it in that iteration, probably five or six years from that point after mm -hmm. we figured this all out. Now, bamboo that's used for flooring today has a different structure to it. It's made differently, but there's still some negatives uh, when you're looking at it. So you really have to make sure you're using it in the right application. It's not the wonder product that it was made out to be years ago. Well, and so speaking of flooring, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, I think people you know, as they're thinking about things they want to do in their home, um, what are some of the the biggest offenders as far as like uh, just toxicity? Sure. Um, I always think about, well, we touched on paint earlier, but I always think about flooring, uh, sealants, things like that. But you probably have a better idea of what's the worst. Well, you know, I, years ago, I developed a, a, a method uh, uh, to sort of pinpoint the off-gassing that could occur in a home. And what I came up with was 90% of all the chemical off-gassing that you'd be exposed to inside of the home will come from things you see and touch on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. 
So think of things like flooring. That's your the biggest offender. We already talked about the the, the carpet, but of course, wood flooring can can be offending. Uh, tile can be. You know, everything can have chemical off gassing unless you choose wisely in the materials that you use to install it with. Painted surfaces, your number two offender in the home. So that's your walls and your ceilings. Number three, cabinetry and woodwork. There's not a lot of it. There's not a lot of cabinetry in a home, but it's a concentrated amount of toxin unless you do it right. And then number four would be all your personal furnishings, your furniture, your window treatments, your area rugs. The last 10%, of chemical off-gassing that you could be exposed to inside of the home will come from from things you you never see. Things behind the walls, insulation, caulking materials, other sealants, flashing details, um, roofing materials, so forth. So when you're building a new home, we really concentrate on that 90%, those four areas from, from a health standpoint. However, that last 10%, of off-gassing, you only get one shot at it, you know, during construction. You get one shot to do it right. So we take time making those decisions as well because 30 years down the road, 20 years down the road, when you put new flooring in, you repaint because you remodel, that structural still exists and you're not going to touch it. So let's make sure we choose wisely there first. But then inside of the home, uh, again, flooring, wall finishes, cabinetry, and your own personal furnishings, uh, those are the ones you really want to focus on. Okay. Yeah, that's great to know. And that makes sense that those would be the the ones to prioritize. Mm-hmm. And I think we've been talking about a few specialty brands and things like that. But for most people who are just going to their neighborhood uh, hardware store, maybe Home Depot or Lowe's, can you walk us through some of the better options at the mainstream stores and maybe how consumers can spot them? Sure. So it's it's getting a little easier to spot things. However, it's it's still... Uh, overwhelming when you're going into a store. Uh, you know, most mainstream stores that started selling green or eco-friendly or healthy materials, they started off with, it was essentially greenwashing. Right. You know, uh, I remember years ago when one of the big box stores started their program of, of you know, putting tags on things that was considered their eco-friendly options. And, you know, they would put their tags on things like, you know, battery powered chainsaws because, you know, apparently it's more eco-friendly to cut a tree down with a battery than it is with gas. <laughs> um, and they would put eco option tag on insulation, a bag of fiberglass insulation. Now, their excuse was, well, it's energy saving to use, you know, insulation. And my response was, well, it's building code in 90% of the country. You have to use insulation. It's not an option. So to tag something, an eco option is for something you have to use by code is just duping the public. So they've gotten better with that. And manufacturers now have gotten better with this too. There's not many third-party certifications that I trust that will provide information about how healthy the product is. Most of them are based upon outdoor air pollution regulations. However, if you do see a tag that says um, Green Guard Gold, 
Green Guard Gold certification tells me that if all other things might be the same, but at least I know that product does not release formaldehyde. Or if it does, it's at an extremely low level, something like less than seven parts per billion, which is, you know, well below the threshold of 20, which is what we strive for. Sure. So that's the one third-party certification that I really like. And that's starting to make its way now throughout um, the building industry. Yeah. Even a lot of furniture stores now have furniture that's uh, Green Guard yes. Gold certified. And that is a huge, huge item. Every day we get phone calls from people, where do I go to get healthier furniture? And it's getting better if it's Green Guard Gold. At least I can say they don't use um, formaldehyde at a, at a dangerous level. There may be other things that, that the Green Guard certification does not account for. Mm-hmm. But that's one thing we can check off our list. Now, if you're looking at other materials like uh, other floor materials and paints and so forth, again, just look for the certifications that they use. Be be wary of um, a, a, a company that uses a, th- a certification that they created themselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is another form of greenwashing. You know, when the marketing department of a big paint company decides to put a leaf on the side of the the label and give it a, a green name and you look that green name up and you find that that company created it, it, it really is, it, you know, irrelevant then. Right. The same thing is with the, the carpet industry. There's actually a, a certification called CRI green label plus CRI stands for the carpet and rug Institute. The members of the carpet and rug Institute are carpet manufacturers. Right. Right. So they're creating their own, certification. I don't like that. <laughs> you know, it needs yeah. to be third party independently tested. Now, all independent testers are pay to play, which means if you don't get the the test results you like, you can always pay them again for another test. And these multi-billion dollar companies can afford that. The smaller companies cannot afford that. So just because something isn't certified doesn't mean it's a bad product. It just means they couldn't afford the certification process to play amongst the big boys. And so this is where going to an independent store, uh, like our company, uh, other companies that are out there selling truly healthy building materials can answer those detailed questions. If you go into a big box store, the the kids working there aren't going to be able to help. Well, that's good to know. And um, especially about the greenwashing, I think one thing I always tell people, even with personal care products, is to be wary whenever there's a leaf on the label. (laughs) Yes. It's almost become like a warning sign to me that they're just (laughs) trying to make it seem organic. (laughs) Yes, exactly. What about items that perhaps, let's talk about paint, for instance. Mm -hmm. There are some really great options out there for paint, but they might not be at some of the big box stores. And there's some other products like that too. Um, What are some some products that people would probably do well to source other places. Sure. There's a couple of brands that I, I like. Uh, I love the AFM safe coat line and I'm, I, I, I fully admit um, I've been working with them for 30 years. And so um, I'm not necessarily trying to advertise for my, my product, but for me, it's the one as a building consultant, it's the one that I can always rely on. Um, it's available from about a hundred stores across the country. It's available online. I will say this because of the pandemic, we've all gotten used to maybe buying products online instead of going into stores. And we're, we're used to maybe waiting a couple of days for products. That's actually improved the green building industry as well, because now these small stores around the country that have these really 
great products, they're now getting people buying their product over the phone or online. And most homeowners are willing to wait. So SafeCoat is a, is a, a good product line, uh, a product line that people may know, but they may not know how safe it is, is a company called Pharaoh and Ball. Oh yeah, I, I'm very familiar. Pharaoh and Ball is a, it's an ultra high-end paint brand. Yes, very. I, I, you know, I certainly won't hide the fact that their products are probably well over a hundred dollars a gallon and they have really good colors and that's why the designers love them and their products last a very long time. But I actually tested them myself. I do a, a, a specific test here called a frat test, a formaldehyde release test. And I was shocked at how safe their products are. Wow. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Well, and they don't say it either because that's not really their market. Um, and so I really like their product from a health standpoint. Um, now, what makes them different, Safe Coats, the paint brand Safe Coats, you can use their paint and put it over an existing paint that's off-gassing and it'll block the off-gassing. Okay. It's the only paint brand that I know of that does this. Farron Ball doesn't do it. Um, some of the other eco-friendly um, brands that I've tested, they don't do it. Um, so depending on the situation, you may want to use one or the other. There are other brands out there. Uh, one is called um, uh, Ecos. Uh, that's a newer line here in the United States. It came from the UK. It's just kind of making its way around. That product is not available through stores. It's only available uh, online. So everything comes from one factory in, I believe, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. So a little bit more difficult to get. And we don't have enough information about the health and safety of it. So we really don't recommend it right now. Um, because I, I, I want to be sure that it's going to meet up to the standards of our most, most, um, sensitive clients. And then there are other paints that are coming into the market that are what are called clay based or mineral based. And this has got some intrigue. There's a brand called Roma bio, uh, from Spain, I believe. And it's a, it's all, uh, natural clays and minerals. Oh, there's wow. no synthetics. There's no acrylics. It's essentially a plastic-free paint. Trickier to use if you've not if you're not used to it. But once you get the hang of it, it's it's fine. The color choices won't be as broad as working with one of the regularly available paints that we have now. So instead of having thirty-seven thousand colors to choose from, you might only have a couple hundred. And I'm sure you can't match. It. Do they allow any type of like color matching or no? Limited, okay. limited color matching. You know, they're working with these mineral pigments and bases that don't accept a lot of it. So you can't really get really deep, intense colors. Okay. Um, But from a health and safety standpoint, I love the product. AFM actually has a product that we will be coming back out hopefully this year that's made from plant oils. Oh, wow. It's completely free of plastics. And so this is a trend we're seeing. It's not just eco-friendly and human-friendly, but people are, are trying to live in homes that have less plastic in them. Right. And the, uh, the safe coat that's called their Naturals Collection is a plastic-free paint. Wow, that's really interesting. You know, I talked a little bit that we've done building and renovating in our house. We, the main things we've done is basically swapped out all the carpeting upstairs. We wanted hardwood floors, but apparently we didn't have the right subfloor for that. So we mm. just swapped the carpet to Earthweave. Downstairs, we completely gutted our kitchen and redid it. And then due to that project, had to have all the hardwood floors refinished downstairs. 
the toughest, I mean, the flooring was uh, definitely hard. It was a lot of research. I felt like to try to figure out what I, what was, what we were going to be able to use, but Mm -hmm. the kitchen, I felt like that was so hard just because there's things that were maybe more ideal, but weren't accessible in my area. Or if I had to have something special ordered and then the price got out of our budget, things like that. So I ended up doing, in some cases, just making the best decision that I could. It wasn't necessarily the best that was available. It was just the best we could do. But as far as people doing building and renovation, I know this is such a big area, but what are some of the the items that people could kind of focus in on and prioritize? And when is it okay to like, maybe not go 100% non-toxic top of the line? Right. So that's, that's a, it's a good question. It's a tough question to answer. Um, generally speaking, um, this is where we got to get into specifics with the client, um, but I'll do my best. When the industry, the the building industry, started creating these uh, third party checklists like Lead and Lead for Homes and all these others that are out there now, and they put emphasis on environmental versus human health, um, it made it more difficult to us for us to find healthy materials because manufacturers were focusing on the eco side. Right. But you also have to look at each individual living in that home. Everybody's level of sensitivity is different. And so I've worked with 30,000 chemically sensitive clients in my, in my career. And out of 30,000, I can say that no two people were alike. They had some similarities a lot, you know, everybody would react to formaldehyde, which is why we concentrate on that so much. But when it came to their own thresholds of what they could tolerate, they were all different. So what I like to do is at the beginning of a project, whether it's what I'm working on or, or, or I'm just telling you and your audience what, what to do, figure, you got to kind of figure out what's most important in the project for your own personal health. So there's a term in the industry called value engineering. And value engineering means you only have a certain budget size. You've got to reduce the cost of materials, but you want to provide the same value and the same architectural appeal and durability. So that's what value engineering is. You lower the prices of materials and you find other things to do the same job that meet the intent of the designer or the, or the, the customer. In a remodeling project, I call it healthy value engineering. Where can you put your dollars to best use to improve the indoor air quality or to not um, degrade the indoor air quality? So if you're doing a remodeling project that is all cosmetic, so it's just things you see and touch, right? It's, it's your flooring materials, your finishes, cabinetry, and so forth. I think that focusing on the items that are the most dangerous to start with makes the most sense. When you when you look at your budget, what you can spend, let's just focus on those things that um, are going to make the biggest impact. And then the other thing is the longevity of the product. So if I buy cabinetry today, I hope that in 30 years, those cabinets are still working just fine. Right. So I might spend a little bit more on the cabinets to make sure they are as healthy as I can afford. And maybe even a little bit more because if it's 
between that and spending a little bit more for a better gallon of paint, I'd rather put money into the cabinets because I'm never going to change those out. But maybe in a few years, I can afford to put a safer paint up. You know, you got to look at things like that. If it's a if it's a whole house project, whole house remodeling, and even or even a new build. Again, I think a lot of people focus on things like I want to put a metal roof on the building. You know, I don't want any asphalt shingles because I don't like the smell of asphalt. Well, ultimately, the roofing material should not have any effect of the indoor quality of the home. the The roofing material should stay that those odors and chemicals should stay outside. So. If you're going to spend $20,000 on an asphalt shingle roof and $50,000 on a metal roof, I'd rather you take that $30,000 and put it to better use inside of the home, getting better cabinetry, better flooring, better paint, because that will ultimately make a bigger difference. That makes a lot of sense. And I think also, you know, I know everybody has a different budget, but depending on where you live, it can vary wildly what's available in your area. I do mm-hmm. think these days, like you said, more people are willing to maybe call or go online to order stuff and have it shipped to them. Um, but one thing we encountered actually is that it's sometimes difficult to find people willing to work mm. With, with the products. Um, yes. Specifically, I had just a nightmare with the, the people that install, or well, the guy that was about to refinish our hood, hardwood floors. Right. I, you know, I've shared on the blog, but we ended up choosing Rubio Mono Coat. Uh-huh. And um, it's a wonderful, no, I love the finish actually. It's oh, yeah. kind of matte. Beautiful. They have great colors. Mm-hmm. So it took a lot of hunting. I found somebody, he came, he said he would do it. Then a month later when we were getting close to the project, then he's talking me into another product. It was also a non-toxic product, but it's not, it wasn't ideal, but now here we are, the ball's rolling. We've got all these things happening in the house. Um, so I was like, okay, fine, we'll go with that. So then we move everything out the day before he's coming. He comes that day, sands a three by three spot in my dining room Um starts poking around. And then all of a sudden he, it had been raining for like two weeks and this was January and the back of our house is like dark and sees no Mm. sun. So we have one little spot in the corner of our house where water collects that we've tried to put down stuff in the crawl space, but it does get a little bit of moisture sometimes. Mm -hmm. And he tested and said that it was one point higher than what he'd like moisture wise. So he was like, I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. And I was like, I just, I don't understand because we moved out of our house. We've talked about this for like two months now, but he said he just didn't trust any of the non-toxic flooring. And he said, if we wanted to switch over to some of the more traditional ones, he would do it. But he said, I just, I I don't have faith that this is going to hold up. And, uh, you know, I was so frustrated and we ended up finding another company that could come out a few days later. And I think I get the impression that they don't really care what they used, you know, mm. as long as you're paying them. They did a decent <laughs> job <laughs> and it was fine. And it was a means to an end because at that point I was like, we just got to be done with this. But the floors held up beautifully, even in the spot where the guy was was having a problem. But I think, you know, through talking to the different contractors, I just got just such a sense of people being so hesitant to work with these natural products. And so I just wanted to see if you had tips for finding people who were not only capable and like competent with using them, but also felt comfortable using them. Yeah. 
So I, first off, I will agree with your position that it is difficult to find and you'll get a lot of resistance. And it's not necessarily resistance because the products are natural. It's actually just resistance because they're different from what they use. Right. Uh, if you hand them a, a, a container full of product they've never used before, they're probably going to have the same resistance because they bid the project based upon getting a certain amount of work done on a daily basis. And that's how they price it out. If they have to learn while they're doing it and maybe redo some areas because they didn't do it right, they're going to start to lose money in the project. So they'll just refuse to do it. A lot of times, though, during the bidding process, during the time when when you are getting a price and and they want your business, the salesperson will say, oh, yeah, we can do that. But as soon as a technical person gets involved, then they'll put a stop to it. Right. We see this all the time. And it's very, very frustrating. Um, I have a situation right now where we're trying to get a contractor to use a tile backer material that's unlike what they're normally used to. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll use it, but I need you to sign a waiver that says that if, if anything ever goes wrong with this, we're not liable. <laughs> and I said, well, that's actually the worst position you can take because if you agree to do it, then you should learn all about it and do it right. Don't agree to do it, but then uh, basically get a blanket. It doesn't matter what happens because we're not responsible. That just, it does not give any confidence to the customer. You're never going to learn how to use the product because you've got that blanket statement saying you're not responsible. Right. So I, I do appreciate when a contractor does say, I can't use the product, uh, but I wish they'd tell you up front. Right. Now, the Rubio Monocoat, this is a product that was used or iterations of it were used 100 years ago. You know, it's just what's called a Danish oil rub. It's a penetrating oil. These are common finishes before plastics were invented. Right. So you're not going to find too many people who remember using these from back in the days. But you will have contractors that are more willing to use it because maybe they have um, some staff that is interested. Right. And so it just it takes some some locating and it takes a lot of phone calls. There's no resource I can go to that says, here's a list of contractors that will be willing to, to use these materials. I can tell you, though, there's an organization out there called NARI. National Association of the Remodeling Industry. I think it's nari.org. Nari is made up of remodelers, subcontractors, different trades, different material suppliers. Everybody who's a member of Nari, in my opinion, is at a at a higher level than just your average trade contractors who are just, you know, out there getting work. Nari has training classes. They have certification programs. Um, they have the proper legal documentation for bids and contracts and contract disputes and so forth. They're a really good organization. Any contractor or subcontractor that's a member of NARI, in my opinion, is at a higher level because they actually care about their work and, and they care about their customers. And so I, I would go there first. If you're trying to find a contractor for any trade, go to NARI first and see who does wood floor finishing and then make some phone calls and uh, see if they'd be willing to give it a try. The other thing is, 
if you do want something that is a little bit out of the ordinary done, sometimes it helps to tell the contractor up front, I realize you don't do this and I'm willing to pay you an extra $500 to do, to uh, do a little uh, research on this and maybe do some testing. So mm-hmm. if, if you're willing to uh, get, get your hands dirty to learn how it works, I'll pay you for that day of labor. That's a great idea. Because I think all too often, again, it comes down to to the finances and, and contractors say, I just didn't have it in the budget or in, in your budget to uh, to spend a day learning how to use these. Right. And ultimately, I do feel like the market's shifting though. So like you said, with the contractor, with the tile backing, I, I think as they're encountering these newer, healthier materials, it probably would uh, be beneficial for them to kind of look into them more and maybe take some on. Cause I, I can only imagine this is just me speculating that more and more people will be asking, you know, if they can use healthier materials here as the future comes. Yes. You know, you and I know that your listeners know that some contractors know this, that they're starting to get these phone calls asking for healthier materials, different materials. And there are other contractors who just don't care. <laughs> and they and and they're trying to avoid it. I still have, you know, talking about tile backer, you know, so I always promote the Schluter products and the Schluter Ditra and the Curdy and so forth. Some contractors are still using cement board backers and I want them to use something different. But there are some contractors that are still using hot mop asphalt as their waterproofer underneath tile. And that is really old fashioned. But that's wow. all they know. Yeah. And they just, they go back to that and their, their response is, well, I've never had a problem with this. And so if you want to change to something else, that's fine, but we're not responsible. And that's, that's the traditional contractor way for, I, you know, fine, we'll do it, but we're not going to put any time in to learning about it. So either find another contractor or, you know, again, dangle that carrot of, I will pay you, you know, a day or a half a day. Uh, of labor just to learn, just to be at your shop or be in my house, whatever, just learn how to use the product before I become your guinea pig. I think that's a fantastic idea, actually. And I know, well, I, I definitely know firsthand money when you're doing a project, like it just seems to bleed out of everywhere. Mm-hmm. But, yep. you know, it's so hard right now, especially with construction picking up so much to find really capable people who are available to come. And I think if you find somebody who is very good at what they do and they're willing to learn, you know, paying them to make sure they're learning how to do it. And then that they're on board for your job is actually really wise. It, it, it uh, pays dividends in the long run for sure. Um, you know, I used to get mad about this all that, you know, when I was selling paints and coatings and that was my main business, I would always get mad when, when painting contractors would say, we don't want to use this um, for whatever reason. They come up with excuses, but it really comes down to the fact that they're professionals. They get paid for what they do. They know how much paint goes on in a certain amount of time. They've got that down to a science. And if you throw any wrench into that program, it, it's going to screw up their their finances. And I'm a small business. They're a small business. I, I understand that. And And so all you can do is try to meet them halfway and say, Maybe this will work. Now, if you're trying to find a, like a general contractor, and this is also a problem, as you mentioned, with, with construction picking up, and it's really hard to find a home builder or a remodeler who, wants, who will focus on 
healthy. There aren't many around in the country. What I have found is talking with a custom home builder is probably going to be your best bet. I do not like working with green or high performance builders. That's okay. kind of a blanket statement. Most, <laughs> And the reason for that is they focus on energy efficiency and global environmental issues, but they do not focus on human health. And all too often, these homes get built in a way that it makes it less healthy for the occupant. Um, and when you have suggestions, and you will, uh, they won't take them. If you go to a custom home builder, these are folks who are used to having customers that have 2000 kitchen pictures in a Pinterest file and that they, that they say, and they'd say to them, make my kitchen look like this. This is what I want. I, I sourced out this and this, and I found this for you and found that for you. Good custom home builders will say, yes, I will do that for you because you are paying the bill. You are my customer. They'll make sure it's done right. And to make sure it's done, you know, solid and according to code and so forth. So they feel comfortable putting their name behind it, but they are more than used to having customers with certain demands. Right. And so those, that's who I go to. If I can't find somebody in an area where maybe I've had previous experience with, I usually go to uh, good custom home builders and nine out of 10 times they're great to work with. That's a great tip. As far as resources where people you know, if they want to kind of hunt down what is the best non-toxic flooring or or what's, you know, what should I be using for this or that? Do you have any like go-to resources, books, websites, anything like that, that you can recommend for people? Well, of course, um, I, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't plug my own company. Of um, course. <laughs> TheGreenDesignCenter.com. The but, you know, keep in mind what what I have on on my website is you know a couple thousand products that I've been curating over time over the last 30 years these are the products that I have found to be the healthiest materials available for what they do I don't have a lot of overlap I don't give you a lot of choices like a good better best or because I I want to make it a little bit easier for people there are other things on the market that are probably just as safe and just as healthy but you know, these are also materials that maybe we don't have as much experience with. And so I can't really recommend them wholeheartedly as a, as a healthy home concierge. But um, so go there first. The, the second thing is um, books that have been written on the subject. Most of the books written on the subject of healthy home building were written decades ago. Now, the information is good. The product names might not be good, but the but the, it's solid information and solid theory on how to build healthy. But just keep in mind that these books were written because they may have built a home or remodeled a home that worked for them or with their family members. So to, to take that information, don't use it verbatim to build yourself a home. Make sure you're doing your own testing for your own tolerances. Uh, everybody with sensitivity is going to be different, have a different threshold. Even if you don't have a sensitivity and you want to build healthy, everybody's level of healthy is going to be different. This is why there are no regulations or building checklists for healthy building, because it's so different from person to person. You know, there is no metric that you can use to measure a home as being healthy or unhealthy. It's a combination of a lot of things, including, you know, intuition and your own 
personal feelings. Uh, so just when you read a book like, you know, Prescription for a Healthy Home or um, let's see, Athena Thompson wrote a book about um, healthy homes and it was very good. But again, the information was very specific to what she did. Uh, you, you really have to just then try to take that information and expound upon it for what your project is going to be like. Sure, sure. That makes a lot of sense. And last but not least, I wanted to ask where people could find you. Thank you. Uh, you can find me, of course, at thegreendesigncenter.com. From there, you'll find the materials that we've curated. You've, you'll also find a link that you can use to talk with me. I do consulting on not just healthy projects. I, I have customers worldwide who are just trying to find a healthy apartment to live in, or they're buying furniture and they just want some tips and tricks on what to look for. Um, I've got some customers that'll actually hire me for time and then they'll send me Zillow listings so I can walk through a home with them to see if it's something that they should look at or not. Uh, so really, it, it's it's um, having a, a healthy home advocate uh, that's literally just a, a, a phone call away who you can share ideas with and get some tips and tricks. But then for those who don't want to call or you're just interested in learning more, I do a weekly podcast called Non-Toxic Environments. You can find it probably where this podcast is is found. Uh, any of the services will stream it. Uh, I've got about, I don't know, 150, 160 episodes up from the last few years. Uh, we've got a lot on the books to do, uh, more interviews, more in-depth, detailed uh, project information. But for the most part, it's myself and my co-host, Jay. And we just kind of, you know, rap about what happened in the week and and the, the types of questions we get, the clients that we have and their specific situations. Because the more people here that's relatable, uh, the easier it is for them to do the right thing in their home. That sounds like an amazing resource, actually. And I could have used you as a consultant when I was going through all that. So much research. Um, but I appreciate you taking your time today to uh, lend us your expertise and kind of walk through some of these topics with us. Well, of course, it's been my pleasure. Molly.